Sprite Castle. Sprite Castle. Sprite Castle. With Robo Hair. Sprite Castle. Hello and welcome to Sprite Castle, the show in which we play, discuss, and review Commodore 64 games. My name is Rob Flack O'Hara, and on this episode of Sprite Castle, we will be discussing The Goonies, which is a suggestion that came from Mark Schroeder. So, Mark, thanks for sending that in. What has eight arms and appears in this game? You'll find the answer to this question later in the episode. Before we get started with this episode's game, let's check the Daily Sun for this week's Paperboy headlines. First up, although this isn't uh, specifically Commodore 64 news, last week was the 30th anniversary of Super Mario Brothers for the NES. I know as a kid growing up with a Commodore 64, I was always a little bit jealous of uh, the friends of mine that had Nintendos and had Super Mario Brothers. Now, we did have the great Guiana sisters, and we had that great hack by uh, Abyss, I believe, uh, who um, uh, edited... Great Guiana Sisters, and turn it into Super Mario Brothers. So we we sort of had a version of Super Mario Brothers for the Commodore 64, but uh, 30 years. Wow, seems like a long time, and uh, I'm a huge fan of uh, 2D platformers. I think side-scrolling platformers, uh, 8-bit and 16-bit are probably my favorite genre of all time, so we owe a lot of that to Super Mario Brothers. There are a lot of games that uh, if they didn't copy it directly, were at least inspired by uh, the original. So, happy 30th birthday to the Super Mario Brothers. Uh, on to Commodore-specific news. I just had a couple things to mention on this show. The first one is a release of uh, a new iOS program called Sid Tracker 64. Now, uh, I'm assuming that you are familiar with the Sid format of music uh, on the Commodore 64, those uh, great three voice sounds. And if you've ever wanted to make your own music, you may have found that uh, the interface for some of those programs was pretty archaic and pretty difficult to work in. Uh, but there are some newer ones uh, out there that make things a little bit easier. And this one, Sid Tracker 64, is actually uh, for iOS. You can get it for your iPhone or iPad and mess around with it. Um, I think there are some other Commodore uh, music-making programs out there for iOS. I'll have to do some checking. And if you know of any, uh, or, or if you have your favorite um, Sid creating tool, uh, send that in. And I'll discuss that on the next show. Uh, this one is not free. It is uh, $10, and that's uh, what makes me think that there may be some other free tools out there. But if you want to uh, go check that out, I'll have a link to that in the show notes for Sid Tracker 64 uh, Another big news story of the week is uh, COS, which is a new operating system for the Commodore 64. Uh, it is called COS because it is modeled after iOS. Uh, the uh, uh, interface or operating system that you may be familiar with if you are a iPhone or iPad user. Uh, I have watched the video of this. I have not tried it yet, but it does support touch screen, um, which uh, is pretty amazing. Uh, that would be an odd interface to use for the Commodore 64, but uh, uh, but it does seem to have a lot of features. There's some videos out there. So again, I will uh, link to that in the show notes if you want to uh, check that out. And now let's get to possibly the uh, strangest King of the Castle <laughs> situation that I've had. The King of the Castle for this episode is Cody Hoffman. 
Cody Hoffman was the first person to correctly identify the song at the end of episode 17, which was putting on the Ritz. Putting on the Ritz was, uh, is an old uh, song, but it was remade in the eighties by taco. And so that was the, the uh, connection with Montezuma's revenge. If you look at the show notes, you will have seen a picture of Montezuma's revenge with a bunch of tacos attacking him. I thought that would be a little bit more difficult than it was, but apparently it wasn't because within the first 24 hours of releasing that episode, I had entries from winning entries, uh, or correct entries. I should say from, uh, Mike Van Hoos, Manford Brower, Steve Sharippa, Joseph Sharippa, uh, Mr. Weddington, Mr. Ferg, uh, Mr. John Justice. I think there were some other people I may have missed. Uh, but pretty much everybody that listens to the show got uh, that one. So uh, congratulations to Cody Kaufman for being the first person. But uh, you know what we're going to do? We're going to throw a party. And everybody that got it correct can come in and be an honorary king of the castle. So we will let Cody sit in the throne. Well, come on in here, Mike and Manfred. I see Steve out there and Ferg and John, everybody that's waiting out there. You guys can all come in, and uh, I'm just going to let you guys party uh, out there till uh, the break of dawn. So, <laughs> the kids say. Uh, so you guys are all welcome to hang out on the foyer there of the castle. I'm going to go back over here into uh, uh, my little recording chamber. I'm going to change the king of the castle uh, slightly. I, you'll still need to send me the winning song, uh, but for a tiebreaker, if I have a lot of entries that are very, very close, I'm going to go with uh, uh, the person that also mentions what the connection is. In other words, uh, the winner of this last one would have been whoever mentioned uh, the taco connection between the Montezuma's Revenge. Uh, so if it's not something that's stated directly in the title, you may need to give me a little bit more information. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. I haven't even picked a song for this episode yet, but uh, I'll figure out something in the next half hour here. Uh, so if you would like to be the next king of the castle, I'll, hey, keep it down in there. Ah, these partying guys. Good grief. Ah, they let a bunch of kings of the castle in, and all of a sudden you can't record a show. If you want to be the next episode of King of the Castle, all you need to do is correctly identify the secret 8-bit song played during the show's closing credits. The song will not be from the game discussed in the episode, but will relate to the episode's theme in some way. Once you have identified the secret song, the first person to send the song title to me, either through Facebook, Twitter, email, or the show's voice mailbox, will be the next King of the Castle. All of those contacts are listed in the show's closing credits. And those are this week's headlines brought to you by my local paper boy who just wrecked into my neighbor's flamingo. Sometimes I eat this job. Now that we've covered this week's news, let's discuss this week's snack. Crack, crack, crack the egg into the bowl. Crack, crack, crack the egg into the bowl. Talking snack. So there's a weird dubbed line in the movie, The Goonies, and you may have noticed it, or you may, if you're a fan of The Goonies, you may know about this. There's a, uh, a line of dialogue, uh, where, uh, I believe it's, uh, uh, Corey Feldman's character, uh, mouth is talking to chunk and he makes a comment about, uh, the time that he ate his weight in pizza at, and he says, Godfather's pizza. But if you listen to the line in the movie, uh, you could tell that that line has been dubbed, and if you look at his mouth, you can see that is not uh, what he was saying. Yeah, and I bet it was even more amazing than the time you ate weight in Godfather's Pizza. 
Uh, I always thought, for some reason, I always thought he was saying dominoes because there are a lot of dominoes product placements later in the film. There are, uh, the, there's a Domino's pizza box that Chunk has. There's Domino's at the end uh, on the beach. So I always thought it was Domino's, but I always thought it was weird that they dubbed that line to say Godfather's Pizza. And in fact, they didn't say Domino's in that scene. They said Straw Hat Pizza. And apparently Straw Hat Pizza refused to participate in the film. And so the line was overdubbed with Godfather's, but it still seems strange that they um, wouldn't use Domino's because Domino's is already in the film. My dad, when I was a kid, loved Godfather's Pizza. We would order um, not very often. We wouldn't order pizza very often. But when we did, it was from Godfather's, and it would always be a supreme. Uh, and so I remember having that as a kid. When I uh, started working uh, out for the government, there was a Godfather's Pizza not too far from us that had a lunch buffet, and we would go there occasionally. But uh, it closed down. And uh, uh, when I moved to Spokane, uh, there was a Godfather's again, pretty close to my work. So uh, Susan and I would would uh, take breaks at lunch, you know, and go eat at Domino's. But uh, I mean, at uh, Godfather's. But all the Godfather's have basically disappeared around here. Now I am going to Godfather's.com. Uh, and actually, I'm going to read you this little bit. There's a link you can click on for the Godfather's backstory. If you click on this, it says how we got into the biz. The year is 1973. Remember that. I tell one of my guys, Willie, to find a place where me and my guys can hang out, relax, make plans for future endeavors. Willie does just that. Our new social club is great, except my wise guys want food, too. So Willie knocks a hole in the wall, and there's just enough room for a sink, walk-in, and a pizza oven. So Willie starts making pizzas. In a matter of days, the aroma gets around the neighborhood. Civilians start coming by asking to buy pizza. Us, being good neighbors, oblige. And before you know it, we got a line around the block. Next thing I know, we're going legit. We're making more money in the pizza business than our other stuff. I tell Willie, run with it. We are into pizza business full-time. By the way, every time I say duh, that's how it's <laughs> written on the website. Uh, and then there are some uh, pictures of uh, the original uh, Godfather's Pizza. There's a thing that says uh, Willie's on the on the front, and there's some uh, a button there that says there's nobody's pizza like Godfather's Pizza. But if you've never been to a Godfather's Pizza, that was kind of their shtick, is that it was a, you know, it was like the Godfather uh, that kind of, this was back before you had uh, PR or marketing firms. <laughs> like, I don't think if you go to the restaurant business now, someone says, here's what you should do. Have you seen The Godfather? Uh, that film where the brother goes bad and kills everybody? Yes. We're going to use that, uh, and we're going to hang a pizza business on it. <laughs> I mean, I get the Italian connection or whatever, but uh, I don't know. It just kind of seems strange. Something you might not do today. But uh, uh, anyway, if I click up here. On the store locator up at the top of the website, there are eight Godfather's Pizza locations here in Oklahoma City. Or in Oklahoma, I should say. None of them are in Oklahoma City. Uh, seven of them are listed as uh, express restaurants. And the express ones appear to be co-located at gas stations, <laughs> which I found out today. Uh, one of them is not uh, not too terribly far from my house, and so I zipped over there for lunch. Uh, I got the address, and uh, 
uh, when I when I Googled it or when I punched it into my phone, actually, it came up and it said uh, the address was uh, – it had a number and then it says North I-35 truck stop. And so that should have been my first clue. I thought, well, maybe it's by the truck stop. But no, it's actually inside the truck stop, just like if you've ever stopped uh, at a truck stop and seen a subway that was inside there. Um, so it was inside uh, – there's a Godfather's Pizza inside the truck stop, and they did have uh, pizza by the slice. I did get a slice of – actually, I got two slices of Godfather's Pizza, uh, and so that was that. So it, it did take me back. Uh, I don't know that I would drive another 20 minutes uh, each way to go to a truck stop to get pizza by the slice, um, but uh, <laughs> but I do it for you folks. I do it for the show, uh, and so I did get my Godfather's Pizza, and it put me in the mood to come back to the house and record this episode of uh, uh, The Goonies for the Commodore 64. So we'll get started. The Goonies was published for the Commodore 64 in 1985 by Datasoft. It is a game for one or two players that uses joystick and keyboard controls. Datasoft released 30 games for the Commodore 64, including Alternate Reality, Mancopter, Mr. Do, Puyan, and Bruce Lee, which we covered on episode three of Sprite Castle. This is the second Datasoft game we have covered on the show. Um, Datasoft released several games that had limited color palettes. A couple of those include Conan, uh, which was 1984, and Zorro, which was 85, and this game, The Goonies, which was also 1985. Uh, the color palette on this game seems very similar to the colors of the Apple II, and uh, it's pretty much assumed that the Apple II uh, or possibly the Atari versions were uh, developed first and then ported to the 64, and no extra time was spent in taking advantage of the Commodore's uh, better graphics capabilities. The game was programmed and designed by Scott Spanberg, says right on the title screen. Uh, Scott worked on Puyan, Mancopter, Delta Patrol, and Airborne Ranger. Uh, those are all Commodore 64 titles. He went on to work on some other titles, including Dungeons & Dragons Heroes in 2003, and he worked on Elder Scrolls Online in 2014, so it looks like Scott is still in the business. A little technical note about this game. It was designed to run on the Commodore 64 with a 1541 a Commodore brand floppy drive. Uh, some people with non-Commodore brand drives that are not 1541s have had trouble loading this game. And also uh, some Commodore 128 owners have reported that it doesn't work, but they've been able to get it to load uh, by pressing the caps lock key before loading the game. So if you're a 128 owner, you may try that. The context of this game is obviously the movie Goonies, which also came out in 1985. The Normally I don't go into a lot of detail about the actual box that a game comes in, but uh, uh, I was looking at the box, the front cover of this game, and on the front is this amazing oil painting, and I will uh, add a link to this in the show notes. Uh, it shows the scene where the Goonies are trying to play the uh, the, the keyboard that's made out of skeleton bones uh, that we see, you know, in the movie, and it also appears in the game. 
Uh, but the, the painting is amazing. I mean, it's incredible detail. It's obviously an oil painting. And so uh, I, I did some research to find out who did this. Uh, and I, I poked around on the, the version that appears on the game. You can't find uh, the title. Uh, I mean, you can't find the artist or anything. But I found a full a picture, the entire uh, artwork. Uh, and it's signed Winters. And so a little bit of searching uh, turned up the name Greg Winters. Uh, I did also find, you may be familiar with Greg Winters' work. He did the front cover of The Empire Strikes Back for the Super Nintendo. And he also did the painting that appears on the front of Rebel Assault. I found a web page that had some information about Greg. It says he started doing movie illustration work starting with Gremlins for Emblem Entertainment. He did all the licensed artwork which led to working on the movie poster, and that led to work on all the various art for Gremlins 2, including the final movie poster. Uh, it says that Greg continues to work in the toy and video game industries along with more packaging illustration. He has done the movie posters and product art for numerous movies, including Gremlins 1 and 2, Witches, The Goonies, Hook, Back to the Future, and many others. Other clients include the NFL, the video game industry, Star Wars toys and games for LucasArts, Star Trek, and many sci-fi pieces for different uses. Um, so anyway, if you go out there and Google uh, this guy's name, Greg Winters, uh, man, you will find some amazing, you'll definitely find some artwork that you have seen before on video games. And also, I happened to look on eBay and looked for Greg Winters, and many of his original artwork, the airbrushings and things that he've done are available on eBay. They are not cheap. <laughs> a lot of them are well over $1,000. But if you are interested in uh, uh, owning original artwork, you can go out and find that. The back of the box has a little bit more information about the game. It says, take the oath and relive the adventures of Mikey, Brand, Chunk, Mouth, Data, Andy, and Steph, the intrepid Goonies. Intricate Rube Goldberg-style mazes provide the challenge and eight exciting screens inspired by scenes from the Steven Spielberg movie. Deadly bats, demonic flying skulls, and poisonous slime are just a few of the perils to avoid while figuring out how to coordinate the movements of the characters to solve the puzzles and outwit their adversaries. Each screen features two of the now world-famous Goonies. And the final adventure includes the awesome Sloth. It's impossible to get through any screen without creatively using both the characters featured in that screen. From the Chester Copperpot Chamber to the final battle of the pirate ship, the tasks become more and more intricate and challenging. It's up to you to help the Goonies elude the evil Fertelli gang and save their homes from foreclosures. Inside the manual, uh, it also has the Goonie Pledge. It says, I will never betray my goondock friends. We will stick together until the whole world ends. Through heaven and hell and nuclear war, Good pals like us will stick like tar. In the city or the country or the forest or the boonies, I am proudly declared one of the goonies. I hate poems that put words that look like they should rhyme that don't. War and tar do not rhyme. <laughs> it really bugs me. It turns out the goonies are great at adventures but bad at poetry. So, uh, once you load the game up, you will come to the title screen. It is a silhouette of the Fratelli's house, the restaurant uh, that we're familiar with from the movie. And there's a silhouette of what appears to be eight Goonies. Now, 
when I just look through the name of all the kids that are on the back of the box, it looks like with even with Sloth, there's only seven. So I'm not sure who these eight kids are. And it turns out if you look at – this is kind of a, uh, a trivia fact – if you look at the title on different versions of this game, different ports, some have eight and some have seven. So I don't know why they would change that, but they did. Anyway, uh, we have The Goonies, written in large letters, 1985, by Datasoft, programmed by Scott Spamberg. This is another title where the programmer is listed right on the title screen, and I like that. I like when they give people uh, the proper credit. Let's get into the controls of Goonies because there are quite a bit of uh, different things you'll need to do. Uh, on the title screen, you can hit F3 to toggle between one and two players, and F7 starts the game, or you can just press the fire button. Uh, while you're playing the game, the main things you need to know is the joystick controls. Left and right, walk left and right. Down makes you lie down flat or climb down, and up makes you jump up or climb upwards. And then you could jump to the left or right by moving the joystick diagonally. The fire button switches between the two goonies that are on the screen. So in a one-player version, you can control one goonie at a time. Uh, if you're playing the two-player version, then each player controls one of the two goonies. And before I talk about the gameplay, I should just mention that this is one of those games from the 80s that I'm not sure, if you hadn't seen the movie and or purchased this game and read the manual, I don't know that you would know what to do or what in the world is going on. Uh, each of the eight levels uh, uh, inside the manual, there's a hint that explains what you're supposed to do. If you haven't seen the movie, I don't know that you would know what to do. Uh, but anyway, uh, so like I said, you control two Goonies, and that's either done through one player controlling each one one at a time or two people controlling them at the same time. And you have to use both Goonies to beat each level. There's something each one of them will have to do. In a way, it's very similar to Maniac Mansion, uh, which is really popular and, and really popularized that idea of using two characters to do something. Um, but this predates Maniac Mansion by two years. Maniac Mansion came out in 87, and this is 85. So this uh, certainly was the first one uh, to do that between the two. Again, uh, uh, each level is a scene from the movie, or loosely based, I'd say, on a scene from the movie. Um, they don't appear exactly in the order as the scenes from the movie, but... Uh, you know, if you've seen the movie, you should probably know, be able to tell what's going on. Uh, here are the hints of the eight scenes, and this will give you an idea of what scenes from the movie uh, each level is. Scene number one, the hint is, Mama Fratelli is greedy and mean. Money will get her off the scene. Quench the embers, run, 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 and you'll find your task is done. Scene two. Rocks that crush, pots that pour, bats that fly, you can't ignore. Well, that's true. Uh, scene three. Duck the bullets, dodge the steam, burst the pipe, and leave the scene. Again, this is one if you, uh, you may or may not have played this game, but on that level, uh, if you didn't read the hint and know that you're supposed to burst the pipe, I don't know that you would ever figure that out. Scene four. Back and forth, the Goonies race. A cannonball will set the pace. Clear the tunnel, knock out slats, Get out quickly, watch for bats. Scene 5. Build a ladder, build it high, before the rungs turn red and fly. Scene 6. Deadly slime plays music sweet, floors appear beneath your feet. Scene 7. 
Eight arms guard the pathway out, flush him down the water spout. Scene 8. Pirate's treasure, jewels, and gold. Mama wants all she can hold. Sloth can make her leave her post. Offer what she likes the most. Uh, so, yeah, I just really can't reiterate that uh, <laughs> uh, quite enough. That um, without, If you haven't seen the movie or you haven't read those hints, uh, then it would be pretty difficult to figure out what to do in each of these levels. And there are, uh, I'll put a link to a walkthrough that's online if you just want to play through this game. If you don't want to play through it, you can go on YouTube and watch, and you could beat this entire game in about 10 minutes. Once you beat uh, scene 8, uh, then you see the pirate ship sailing away with all the goonies watching, and you are proudly declared one of the goonies, it says. Uh, one interesting trivia thing about this game, which I actually knew from, uh, I owned an original copy of this, uh, is that the Commodore 64 version is on one side of the floppy and the Atari 400 and 800 version is on the other side of the floppy, uh, which was, uh, something some companies did, I guess, uh, to save on manufacturing costs. They just made one version and it, uh, uh contained, you know, the different versions of the game. Uh, it's also available in cassette or diskette versions. Of course, uh, being here in the U.S., I had the diskette version, but I think the uh, in the U.K., the, the cassette version was a lot more popular. If you didn't catch the reference to the trivia question or the answer to the trivia question in Scene 7, you have to um, jump over uh, or basically get out of the uh, – or get away from the octopus – uh, eventually you flush him down the spout and, and jump over him. Uh, if you don't know, if you're not uh, big on your Goonies trivia, there was a octopus scene filmed for the Goonies movie that was later cut. Uh, Data makes a reference to it at the end of the film. He says something about the octopus. Uh, and so even though that was cut from the film, it does appear in a scene in this game, which is kind of interesting. It makes me wonder Maybe they were working off of uh, a script or something when they developed this. It came out of, uh, you know, the same year as the movie. So I'm not sure how the octopus got cut from the movie, but appeared in the game. But that uh, seems to be the case. Reviews for Goonies on the Commodore 64 are pretty positive. Your Commodore gave it 10 out of 10. Commodore and Video Game Magazine gave it 8 out of 10. Zap Magazine gave it 78 out of 100. And Commodore User gave it 3 out of 5. So uh, a, a lot of people like this game. I liked it back in the day. It's pretty simple. If you've played through it, uh, you probably may or may not want to go back through and play through it again. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's a fun little uh, puzzle, puzzle slash adventure uh, slash action, I guess, type game. Let's talk about the different ports of this game. This is another game that gets kind of confusing. Uh, this version of the Goonies was released uh, not only for the Commodore 64, but also came out for the Amstrad CPC, the Apple II computer, the Atari 8-bit, and the ZX Spectrum. Now, all of those versions are a little bit different and play to the strengths of their own platform, but all of them are very similar. Uh, except for uh, the ZX Spectrum, which has that uh, strange color palette, but all the rest of them look look fairly similar. Now, a different version, a completely different game called The Goonies, was also released for the NES, the MSX, the PC-88, and the Sharp X1, along with an arcade version. Uh, but that version of The Goonies is not the same as the version of Goonies that I'm talking about today. 
There was also a sequel to that arcade version called Goonies 2 that only appeared on the arcade and NES platforms. Um, if you want to play this game today, I will add a link to a remake. These, uh, there's a, a group of guys called the Sloth Team, and they rebuilt this game for modern machines. Uh, runs, uh, they have ports for Windows and Linux. So I'll add a link. It's completely free if you want to download it um, and uh, check it out. And now let's get into my personal memories of this game. As I mentioned on other episodes, in the mid-80s, my parents had a computer store, and this is one of the titles that they had on the shelf in the store. So uh, even though I wasn't able to uh, just open it and play it, you know, I wish I wish that were the case, but um, I was able to, you know, pick it up and look at it, look at the artwork, um, read the information on the box. I remember there was a little silver foil on there or a gold foil stamp on there. I think maybe that told, you know, what version, what computer that version was for. Uh, so I do, uh, have memories of, of that box of that physical thing. And then I think this is one of the titles that when my uh, parents store closed that hadn't sold. And so I think I just kind of inherited this game. I do remember playing this game with my friend Jeff, uh, playing the two-player version where we would uh, alternate. Uh, well, you don't really alternate, but you you uh, have to work cooperatively to solve each level. So I do remember playing that. Uh, I don't. I know for sure we never beat the game uh, when we were kids uh, with no walkthroughs or anything like that. And the most frustrating thing I remember about this game playing it was. Um, how uh like the almost a pixel accuracy that was required to make some of the jumps or to avoid some of the traps you had to be exactly in the right place and if you weren't you would get killed uh, and have to do it over and over so it, it was kind of frustrating game uh, for us to play as kids For graphics, I give Goonies a 3.5 out of 5 One-Eyed Willies. I think um, the graphics are okay. I think they could have obviously been better if they had spent a little time and taken advantage of the Commodore 64's color palette. Uh, it, you can't really tell which Goonie you're supposed to be playing, uh, so I, I wish they had spent a little bit more time making the Goonies look uh, a little bit more unique. For music, I give it a 4 out of 5. Obviously, we have that catchy uh, Cindy Lauper good enough tune that appears here and, and uh, takes advantage of the Commodore 64 SID chip. For sound effects, I give it 3 out of 5. There are sound effects. They're passable. Everything there is okay. And overall gameplay, I'm going to give it 3.5 out of 5 One-Eyed Willies. Um, it, it's a good game, and I enjoy playing it. It has a unique approach, that cooperative approach between the two players, uh, but once you've played through the game, you'll either beat this game and get tired of it, or you will get frustrated trying and get tired of it. So there, there's just not a lot of replay value for there uh, for me, but um, uh, it's, it's definitely worth checking out.
Thanks again for tuning into Sprite Castle. The next game I will be covering is 1983's Seamus by Synapse Software. If you'd like to play Seamus before the next show is released, head on over to SpriteCastle.com and click the downloads link at the top of the page where you can download Commodore 64 emulators and all the games that have been covered by the show. If you'd like to send me feedback about this episode or any other episode of Sprite Castle, you can email me at robohara at robohara.com, contact me on Twitter at Commodore, follow the show on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Sprite Castle, or leave me a voicemail on the Flack Podcast Hotline at 405 486 YDKF. Sprite Castle is available from iTunes, Stitcher Radio, the SpriteCastle.com RSS feed, and through throwbacknetwork.net, your home for quality retro podcasts. To hear more podcasts from me, check out You Don't Know Flat, Throwback Reviews, and Multiple Sadness. You can find links to these and all of my shows at robohara.com forward slash podcasts. Many of the news articles and game details for Sprite Castle come from websites such as Commodore is Awesome, the Commodore Scene Database, Lemon64, and Moby Games. For links to these and more websites, check out the list of links on the right-hand side of SpriteCastle.com. Thanks again for listening. Now get back to doing the Truffle Shuffle, and we'll see you here next time on Sprite Castle. <laughs>